Turn in your Bibles for me for Matthew 7, uh, verses 24 and 20 to 29. We'll be reading uh, together. Sorry, 27 is on the screen. This passage here, this is one of Jesus' teachings, Sermon on the Mount. It says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But they did not fall because it had founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and a great was the fall of it." So, congratulations, U.S. is number one again. Uh, We live in the most anxious nation in the whole earth. Uh, One in five people with mental issues because of anxiety, one in five suffer, so one in five in this room suffer with anxieties. Every year, anxiety increases. In the last two years, drug sales have increased, like Xanax has doubled in sales over the last two years. 25% of children between the ages of 13 and 18 have anxiety-related disorders. The average child mirrors the same level of anxiety that a person in a psych ward would in 1950s. What is going on? It's more than just the larger cultural issue that we're facing with a pandemic, with the division. The kind of air is saturated with this heaviness that we can so tangibly feel at times. But it's more than that. There are personal things that we face. There's the financial issues, the debt that we're wrestling with. It's the pressure of work to do more. It's the constant drive to look right, to have it all together. It's raising kids in an age which we don't know what's happening. Constant rules and viewpoints changing of what is it even to be a male or female. And so it's this wrestling that many children are having, and they're feeling the weight of their parents. Unbeknownst, they're feeling this weight, and it's coming down more and more upon them. It's more than what we can comprehend, and it's not just a season or a moment that we're in, but it's becoming a lifestyle. Tiredness. I just want you to sense your body right now. Just become aware of how your body feels, maybe the strains and stresses, because we are so used to carrying tiredness, carrying the weight of things, that it becomes just part of our body and our general aches and pains when we wake up in the morning. No, it wasn't that extra ice cream or sugar you had the night before. But there's this general weight that we feel upon our bodies, yet we keep going. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, a thought theologian, pastor in New York, had this to say at the beginning of the pandemic. He said, what I learned from 9-11 as Christians, we have good theology of hope, and we step up with a missionary heart, heroic heart. Christians get going. When 9-11 happened, Christians stepped in. They helped. They served. We saw amazing acts of service from all people. But over time, it fell apart. It became weary because we do not have sustainable spiritual walks. How do we respond when the waves hit us? 
This story that Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with is a man who has built his house upon Jesus and has not been shaken. And we've got someone who builds upon their house upon the sand and falls. The question we've been asking is beauty in the process, or process, as Joe keeps wanting me to say. We say process, you say process. I'm bilingual. Um, The questions that we have is, how do we, as followers of Jesus, recapture the vision of following Jesus? For many of you, you you've walked many years. In fact, I loved, again, BJ did that middle down the line of how many grew up in the church and how many didn't, and it was staggering. All of you guys, like 95% of you grew up. So you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And so how do we capture the beauty in the process? How do we keep that front and center? And so the first week we talked about slowing down. Many of you took upon yourselves to drive slowly. I got lots of texts through, which was great. But many of us don't realize the day-to-day renewal that has to take place in spiritual formation. It is not one quick matrix download. It is a day-to-day refinement process, and it is slow, and we need to remind ourselves that there is beauty in the slow day-to-day. And then last time I spoke, we talked about the beauty of the silence. Silence is incredibly uncomfortable. Because we are left with our own thoughts and minds, and it just feels like laziness as well. But yet silence, as Holy Spirit really spoke to me about, we can learn a lot from what God speaks to us, but we grow in His silence. And so we need to be people that are okay with science. In fact, resting when God doesn't speak, when we feel like the storm's raging, but we don't hear anything from God because He's trying to develop trust. He's trying to develop a trust inside of you. And already in ministry today, God is trying to break you down because he wants you to be a trust person. We can, in relationships, have the feel-good feelings, the honeymoon stages. But God wants to have a deeper, intimate relationship. And so the beauty in the silence brings us to trust a God. Like the Canaanite woman, where this woman uh, was uh, leaned into Jesus. Would you heal my demonized, possessed Uh, child. And Jesus didn't reply. Then got told to go away because of who she was. And then Jesus almost even insulted her. And it can feel like that. Jesus, where are you? Silence. It can feel like just get away. Everyone else is being healed, but not you. And it can feel like, I think God's even offended by me. And we can feel all those things. But the Canaanite woman held on and her faith brought about healing in her life. And so our spiritual journeys, the beauty in the silence, maybe you're experiencing silence of God right now. He is trying to create trust, which is beautiful. And last, sorry, actually the third one, we talked about beauty in the process of being rivers in the desert. We talked about Isaiah, how we as Christians need to understand that our calling, our beauty is found in the desert, in the dryness. I love what Kim said in prayer today that our contrasts, what contrasts our lives cause us to come alive. So whenever we meet uh, uh, an object or whatever, a difficulty in life, we can contrast it by the goodness of God. God isn't looking for floods to come rushing through. He's not looking for that spiritual breakthrough where just mass stuff happens. He's looking for lives that will set set themselves apart to be a beautiful river in dry places. And that requires for us 
to have spiritual formation. It requires us to have a rule of life. And we're going to talk more about that today again because the Holy Spirit really impressed that upon my heart. But we need to be people that set our lives apart, that we don't just live these kind of like wayward lives, but God says live a structured life that breeds the river in a desert place. And so we're going to carry on with that theme, built to last is the theme of the message today. As people, we're naturally formed structures. We stand in a structure. and We have invisible structures of culture, plans. Like we have a structure of service. Like we love structures. How many of you love your structures of days? Like, I, I, I love it. Like, so Monday and Fridays are my gym days. I get up early in the morning to go there, and winter's coming. I'm not looking forward so much to that. But I get up early, I come back, I pretty much religiously have oatmeal. I am like, when it comes to food, I'm pretty boring. Like, I eat to live. I don't live to eat. Like, I'm just like, this is what I do every morning. So I have my oatmeal, and I, have, and I get to work, and I start going through my day, and I come home. I play with the kids for a bit. We put them to bed, which feels like eternity, trying to get your kids to bed. And then probably about 9 o'clock, if we're lucky, um, me and Rach will hang out, we'll watch a movie, and then we'll go to bed. Generally, my flow just keeps happening like that because I love structure. I love being able to fill my day with those kind of things. Maybe you've got a structure. God is a God of structure. The creation passage is not what we think it is in the sense of how the world was made. Can I burst that bubble for you? It's more about a story where chaos was riding, was raging, and God brought order to chaos. That's the Genesis passage. It's how God brought structure to a world of chaos, and he brought life in and through that. So the idea of like how early was the earth formed and all that kind of narrative, it's not answering that question. It's answering how does God bring order to chaos? That's the conversation. And so Jesus is touching on that very question, and he's asking, with all this amazing information I've given you, I've just laid out chapters 5 to 7, this truth of how to live a fruitful life, how to live a new way, the new Ten Commandments, if you were. How do you live, and what are you going to do with this information? What structures are you going to build? So how many of you grew up with building house upon the rock, house upon the sand, hands raised? How many people know that? Do we remember the stories of when we were in the felt board, kind of like patterns on top, right? I think we went a little further. Uh, we actually built structures to try and see which one would last better. I think we made human pyramids even. Like that's how our, our kind of like leaders as kids brought up. And maybe you just remember right now. But for so many years when I heard this story, I missed the purpose of this story because of how I read the opening lines. I was always kind of taught, and maybe I just misunderstood it, but that I was building upon salvation, that I was building upon a belief in Jesus. Like, if I build, if I'm a follower of Jesus, um, I've had salvation, so now I'm building my house upon a rock. And if I'm a non-Christian, I'm building my house upon the sand. That's just how I interpreted it. Obviously, that's not what the Scripture is saying, but that's just how I interpreted it. So for many years, I'd kind of been going, I, I, I'm building my house upon the rock. I believe in Jesus. Like, this is happening. Anyone else resonate with that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's typically what I thought. And I missed the whole purpose from the opening line. It says this, 
Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man. Both people are Christians, in essence. Both people, if they do this, they're both followers of Jesus. One chooses to do it, and one person chooses not to do it. And there's this, and it's, it's simple, but it's radical. Because who puts into practice is like the man who builds his house upon a rock. Poieo is the Greek word for do. Maybe in your translations you have put into practice. Mine says, does them. This word poieo is 652 times in the New Testament. 652 times. That's more than any love. So if you combinate all the different loves, the agape, the philo, the eros, all of those, that's only 232 times the word love is mentioned. 652 times the New Testament authors want to say, do something. Like we talk about God being a God of love. I would, it's like triple almost. The Bible is saying, do something. So in other words, every, two, every page on your Bible, there is at least two times that Scripture is saying do something. In fact, Sermon on the Mount, 22 times. Just a Bible nerd out on you for right now. Like 22 times, he's saying do something, do something, practice, do this. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because this is the final words of Jesus. Now, you would think like a radical, like if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you can do this. You're the best. God's got your back. Instead, he ends with these words, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and it was a great fall of it. Mic drop. Like, can you imagine? I don't know if this is true, but the chosen kind of like sets this idea of like thousands of people watching him. But you can imagine that you're listening to this, this kind of sermon and suddenly he drops that and just walks off. Like, I'd be like, okay, these are really difficult teachings. If I don't do them, my house is going to fall. This is kind of like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. For me, it kind of makes me feel like all sorts of stuff inside of me. But the image of a home would have been so prevalent for this Jewish listener. It would have been your whole being. Your house is where you sold what came in and out through you. And he was saying, your whole foundations. And so both these people would have been followers of Jesus. One would have done it and one wouldn't have done it. And so the question is, why didn't the other person do it? Why didn't the other person do it? And I'm just going to take a guess that they didn't trust God. In this day and age, we have more information than ever. We can do more things than ever before. Yet there is this greater uh, separation that we have in knowing and doing. I can listen this morning to the greatest sermons and never, ever apply them. And I feel like we've been in this year experiencing a great shaking. We suddenly thought, well, I have it together. I've got some really good foundations, but we suddenly realized I was building my house upon sand. How many of you have felt that over this last 20 months? Like, I thought I was building upon a rock, but I suddenly realized that actually I'm just building on sand. And so I just want to have a look quickly at some sand foundations. This is from Tim Keller again, um, from Reaching the West, and just a couple of thoughts that I kind of borrowed from him here. The sand foundations, just to quickly go through these four that we contend with, because what draws us to build upon sand? What draws us to naturally build upon sand rather than rock? 
And so he says this, first one, individuality. One of the greatest gifts about America is its freedom. It's freedom to do whatever you want, to speak whatever you want. Freedom is. One of, uh, I was preaching at a school a week ago, and he said, what's the difference between the UK and the US? And I said, that's a massive question. I'm not going to be able to answer that. But I said one thing, freedom. The freedom in this country is different to many other nations in this world, and we are fighting for that freedom at the moment. But there is a shadow side to that freedom. Because it's all about your pursuit of happiness. It's all about your walk and what makes you feel happy. The growing, growing thing. Without the king being at the center, we become self-worshippers. We become individualized. And so rather than building our freedom for the value of another person, we build our freedom for my value. And so I would argue that some of the warring against our freedom is because your comfort has been taken. The, the things of, well, my comfortability has been taken, so I'm going to fight for it. Which is not wrong, but when it's just about you all the time, I think sometimes we're fighting with the wrong heart for the freedom. It's not no longer for the other person's freedom and to experience flourishment. No, it's because I feel discomfort, because I feel pressures. Relationships become transactional. As long as you make me a better person, I'll keep you in my circle. As long as you make me feel better about myself, I'll keep you in my circle. It's funny that work culture right now, like Googles of the world, are making their workspaces community. Like, you just come hang out with us, bring your family. You can work as many hours or not as many hours. Whatever you want to do, we're family. The only problem is you get fired in your family. Like if you don't perform. And so they're trying to create this false sense of culture that says, this is relationship. Perform, do good for yourself, and you'll be good. We don't accept you if you're not performing. If you're not good, you're out of here. And so it's increasing this idea of individuality, the hyper sense of individuality. You know, in America, there is one... <laughs> Uh, Americans in general have either one or no close friends. And it's a crazy epidemic of loneliness. In England, we have a, a loneliness minister. And I, wouldn't, and I think America has a higher proportion of loneliness. And this is in America, freedom, abundance. You know, we're not without lack anywhere. Yet we are more lonely, and it is the great leprosy of our world. Secondly, idolatrous ideas. So ideas, and if you've been on Facebook or any other kind of like media, ideas are no longer shared, but they war against another person. You use ideas to tear down another person. And ideas have actually become ideology. I, you get your identity from your belief system. That's new. That's, that's different. Like if you are conservative or democratic, whatever, you, that belief system becomes your identity and you attack the other person by their belief system. Not them as a person, but because of what they believe in. Because we are attaching our identity to our ideas. Vax or non-vax. We're starting to create, if you believe in vaccination or if you believe in anti-vax, we're attaching identity to those people. And it is dangerous. Do not fall into that trap. 
That's my, my heart's cry from a pastor right now. Don't start bashing other people because their ideas are not who they are. So idolatry, that we believe that our kind of enlightenment, our ideas are the things which define us. Distractions, my gosh, distractions. Sand is always moving, and it looks attractive because it's always changing, always shifting. And for my distracted mind, sometimes it looks really good because it's always changing. How many can resonate with that? Man, I feel like a new season. God's given me a new thing. I'm looking for the new thing. But you're probably building on sand because God wants the slow, mundane a lot of times. He wants the consistency. And so often I wonder Christians kind of cry of God's new thing in their life is just because they're bored and actually they're building upon sand because it looks different, it moves, it changes, and it looks attractive. And fourthly, exhaustion. Man, exhaustion. We are too tired to live well. We're too tired to live well in this age. Can you feel it in your body? Like that is sand. It just exhausts you. Have you ever walked on a beach? Running on a beach is great, but man, it takes it out of you. But it's actually easier to build on sand because it molds to what you want initially, right? It's like, oh man, this is super easy. Just digging in, going down for any of you construction workers. It's like sand, great. But then it hits and it falls apart. And for us in this age that we are living in, we are exhausted, we are distracted. We have our ideas are God. My truth is God, and I will destroy you if your truth does not align with mine. In fact, I will identify you by your truth, and I'm living more and more for me. Your phone is curating you. As you swipe on your phone, every swipe is saying, I want to see what I want to see what I want to buy, what I want to shop, unfollow, don't care to see you, just keep swiping. And so we are creating a culture of individuality more and more. And so how do we even begin to build upon the rock? So if you turn your Bibles to John, we'll just be here for the remainder of the time. John chapter 15, 9 to 17 is what we're just going to quickly work through here today. What does it mean to build upon a rock? How do we do that? These are Jesus' final words before he goes to the cross the next day. This is the night where he's going to be betrayed. Interestingly, the final words of his sermon about practice and his final words to the disciples are again about practice. So Jesus keeps coming back to this concept of building upon doing. So if we read through just these verses here, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I wish we could just spend all the time in this truth. If you hear almost anything in this, would you hear this moment? There is a Father that loves you like he loves his son Jesus. That's a beautiful thing that we cannot lose. We cannot get rid of. That there's a father which says, well done, my son. I am well pleased with you. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, we have this new identity. And it feels absolutely ridiculous because we are so performance orientated that I can step into this room, that I can come into the presence of God, sinful, 
broken, you know, not even worth a thing. And yet God sees me as precious. He sees me as loved. He sees me as wonderful. And it's the hardest thing for us to get hold of. There is an invitation of love. This morning when we came to worship, there was an invitation of love. When you wake up tomorrow morning, there will be an invitation for love. Right now, there is an open invitation to experience and abide in the most amazing experience. We've all walked Christianity out in this room. Yet, I don't think we live in that space, if we're honest, right? Like, I know that I don't live in the fullness of that abiding love all the time. I can remember and bring back to memory the most amazing encounters of where I'm just worshiping with God, me and him. I'm sitting on a bench. I just feel the warm air come, and I just feel his presence all around me. There's no show, no lights, no speaking. I'm just feeling his presence. I feel whole. I feel joy. I feel love in that moment. I feel like heaven is touching earth, but the reality is that's not the reality. There are moments where I've got distractions, I've got exhaustion, I've got all this stuff I'm carrying, and I just can't seem to let go and hold it in. So I love that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We'll get on that in a second. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I've spoken to you that you may, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This promise of the Holy Spirit. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. And they don't fully understand what that even means yet. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. To die to self. The greatest, even as we've honored men and women who gave the ultimate sacrifice of giving your life, laying down your life, saying, you know what? I don't want to have my way. I want to have your way. Uh, in Connect Group, we talked about enemy love. Probably the most controversial subject probably in America to deal with, to love your enemy, to see the best happen to them. How's that working for us right now? You know, it is staggering how we just glaze over that teaching of enemy love. And Jesus is saying, lay down as he died upon the cross, as he was nailed, beaten, and cursed, as these centurions, these Roman soldiers were nailing him. He was saying, forgive them for they do not know what they do. This is the kind of sacrificial love that we must take hold of. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That line got hold of me this week because I feel like as Christians, we predominantly would say, I'm a friend of God, right? I would say, I'm a friend of God. Even we sang the song. I don't know if you sang this song, but we did in England. I'm a friend of God. Whoa, and I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me. Thank you. <laughs> that was beautiful. Friend. And we resonate with that. We're like, yes, I'm a friend of God. Let's read the sentence again. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Does that sit a little different with you? Wait, so you're saying I have to kind of like do commands to be your friend. Like I have to act in a certain way to be your friend. That doesn't sound like Jesus I was told about. Jesus was the person who's, what can Jesus do for me? 
Like I came forward, I was told gospel was, what can Jesus do for me? He can forgive my sins and he can be this greatest love. But you're saying that, my friend, if I do what I command you to do, and this is the point that I think that the Spirit really hit me with. We miss the servant part to be a friend. We love all the friendship, the love, but for many of us, we move past being a servant. What does a servant do? A servant says, yes, I will do whatever you need. Yes, I'm there for you. Yes, I will drop everything. Have you got friends in your life that when that call comes, you will drop everything and go run and help them? We have to have those kind of people. We have to be those kind of people. But we've negated this in our spirituality. We have said, I'm a friend of God and I don't need to serve. I'm a friend of God and I don't need to sacrifice my life. I'm a friend of God, but I'm not going to do what you say, God. Like, right, real, like real, real talk here. Like, um, so... We, me and Rachel got called out in front of the church, you know, fourth child. You're like, okay, well, do you do it or do you not do it? You know, it's like that call out kind of thing. But so that struggle, that hit me because I was fighting it hard. I was like three children, three children, three children. So real talk, I'm like, God, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to serve you. And, you know, one day we'll have a fourth maybe, you know. Like I'm going to deny what I want and I'm going to say, God, what do you want? What do you want in my life? And I know that's a small, that's just real right now. That's just my, my space right now. Like I'm saying, God, I want to be a friend that serves. Before I get to be pally-pally, I want to say you've got my whole heart. Christians, we've got to get back to servanthood first before you start being all pow-pow with Jesus. Because he says, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. When you've got the servant part down, when you say I'm going to sacrifice my life to be a servant of Jesus... For the servant does not know what the master is doing. So that's like bottom foundational existence. But he says, I have called you friends. For you know that I have heard from my father and I have made known to you. And finally, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. And so whatever you ask the father in your name, notice that's a trick. If you abide, if you surrender, if you get his heart, his desires, he's going to answer your desires. Just to clarify for those who are like, well, Jesus is my genie. Like, why isn't he giving me what I want? It's like, and then they're tricked. He's like, get my desires, know me, and I'll give you what really what I want, um, the, which is good, which is wonderful, which is like the best life that you can have, for sure, because our hearts aren't good. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Quick highlight. If we want to build rock foundations, we need to have the invitation of abiding daily, momentary, every single breath. Do you feel the invitation every moment of every day to abide in the Father? To say, God, I want to be in proximity. And I love the word abide. Remain is okay for me, but abide is so much closer and richer. Because abide means to make home in God. For you uh, women in the house who love to make your home wonderful, beautiful, orchestrated, like the perfect home, right? Jesus is saying, take that gifting of intentionality of that beautiful homemaking ability and make it in me. You know how you think about your house constantly? Oh, that item looks really good. On Pinterest, man, I want to make that. That's going to make it look really good. I need to change the paint color in here. Fall's coming around or Christmas. How many people have put up Christmas decorations? 
Oh my gosh, oh, no shame, we love you, great stuff, good stuff. Um, that's great, that's great, that's great. Anyways, make your home, whatever makes you happy, right? Make your home in God. Invitation to abide. If we want to have rock foundations, how's your invitation this morning? Secondly, the posture to die to self. And we can say these words all day long, but what does that even practically look like? saying that my truth, my belief systems, the kingdom is the answer. I might have had kingdom infused with America, and so the American gospel is not the gospel, can I tell you today. UK has a gospel. We have a gospel that's not right. Europe does. Africa does. Asia does. The kingdom is the gospel. Don't marry the two ever. There is a posture that we must die to self and says, you know what, God, I'm going to read your scripture. I'm going to get your truth. and I'm going to deny my truth for your truth. Thirdly, the action, obedience. To be someone who obeys and obeys. And this is like kind of self-truth right here. We know that we need to obey. Uh, Ed Trout did a great job talking about what was the heart of David Heart of David was obedience. Like he did whatever God would tell him to do. And again, we need to get past the idea of like, man, my friendship, my blessing with God. And we need to get servanthood in there. Serve to be obedient. Fourthly, the outcome. I love this part. When we follow Jesus, when we build the rocks, when we build the foundations, do you have expectation for fruit? Good. Good job. And this is good. The outcome, because I think a lot of times we don't marry that by that. The fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those flowing out of us. You should be having tangible love, as the Scripture says, that, you know, I've, I've put fruit in you, that you may abound, that we may be a blessing to this world. Like, are we living lives that is a blessing, that is an outward flow to other people? Like, are we giving to people? Like, practically, are we financially giving and blessing other people who can't repay payment back to us? Are we giving to, you know, our time and our energy? Are these actions tangibly coming out? Because we can be the most grumpy Christians, and I've met so many, and I've been one of those as well. I've been doing the practices. I've been doing what God says. I've been abiding, kind of dying to myself with gritted teeth. I've been obeying him. I've been doing the good thing, but there was no tangible love that was being shown. There was no grace that was coming out. There was no fulfillment, and I had just become over and over again the older brother. I'd been becoming the older brother. And so what does this kind of look like? I love this, this quote. And this is from a rabbi that really can't pronounce. So there's the name. Uh, you can read it online. It's Rabbidim Drefner Tagore. We'll say that. And I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to try and fake it. I have no idea. I tried to Google it, and I still can do it. I have on my table, but it's an amazing truth. I have on my table a violin string. It is free to move in any direction I like. If I twist one end, it responds, it is free. But it is not free to sing. So I take it, I fix it into my violin, 
I bind it, and when it's bound, it is free for the first time to sing. That was worth coming for today, right? that, that truth right there by person. So I want to come back to something we spoke about last week, sorry, two weeks ago, called the rule of life. Now, for you who weren't in the room and religious signals are going off and you're like, rules, this is not, this is America, Johnny, this is not rules, we are freedom, this is America. There we go, that's my attempt at the uh, American accent right there. You're welcome. This is ancient language, and I want to keep it like this. Again, this is vision stuff for next year. We're going to go more and more into this, but I really want, like the Holy Spirit intentionally said, when I was preaching last time, you're going to talk about this again because your people need to understand this. When we have abuses in our lives, we pendulum swing. If you have been controlled, if you've been manipulated in some way, you actually control your environment because you do not want it to happen again. There's been a spiritual abuse in this area, and I won't name churches or things like that in this area, but there have been lessons that have said, you must do things, you must pay to get to heaven. There's been a spirit of religiosity which says, you do, you must do these things, or else you'll miss out. And that has infiltrated this area a lot. But the problem was that we pendulum swinged away from good things. There are good practices that we threw out with the baby, because we're going to be this Christian that now is free. I can do whatever I want. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. I'm not going to listen to the Bible, but Jesus loves me. And I'm just going to keep on walking out my life as a social Christian. And we have negated the rule of life, which helps build structures, which helps us fight against the wind. If we want to be Christians that are built to last, when the storm comes, and who knows, next week something might happen. Who knows in this time? But if we want to be Christians that build upon a rock, can I suggest to you a rule of life today? Again, I just want to give you an overvision. I just want to bring this language for you. If you've not heard, this is his ancient language. Um, the idea is rule is regular which is a Latin word for straight stick. And this straight stick, they put the imagery of a trellis. So the, the desert fathers, the, oh, so we're talking like early 100 AD. The church had married with the government of the time. Uh, the Roman government had seen how powerful, Constantine had seen how powerful Christians had become and said, you know what, we can't beat them, so we're going to make it our national religion. And so they invited it in. Anyone who didn't go to church was killed. It became, but what happened was the Christianity became diluted. And so the Christians of the day moved out to the desert because of this infiltration that had come, this watering down of the gospel. They got out because they needed to set some structures because Christianity was just becoming powerless. It was becoming just like everything else. Does that feel like what's happening in this country? I know for England, it's true. We've just married in when the gospel was never meant to marry with anything other than Jesus. And so the rule of life is this. It's like a wooden support. And so think about a trellis. Think about a vineyard. Think about how it helps the vine to grow. It creates space. It protects it. We see this metaphor very much in uh, John chapter 15, which we've read about being the vine, the central point of like spiritual formation. 
But what it creates is fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience. John Mark gives this definition for all of life. It's a schedule. It's a set of practices that are relational rhythms that help us create space in our busy world to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what he did, to live life to the full in his kingdom and his alignment with our deepest passions and priorities. So we, we need this. And so just to give you, like, again, I'm not expecting you, any of you to do this, but I'm just going to put you put this before you. We're going to go more into this next year, but I want to put this. What we believe in this house is discipleship. So how are we transformed? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Does everyone remember that phrasing that I use a lot? I'm trying to make you get bored of it, right? I'm just trying to be like natural language that you hear every single time I preach. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And so you are made up of body, mind, and spirit. And so the idea is, is that you would take a practice, and there'll be a list of practices from each category of the three, and what you would do is you would walk these out daily. So, for example, abiding. Like, you would be someone that would say, I'm going to get up and read my Bible for five minutes every single day. Start small, start simple, don't go big. Five minutes, I'm just going to read my Bible every single day. I'm going to practice in my mind to be still. I'm going to be quiet for five minutes every single day. You might even not even do any of the body things, like eating healthy, all that kind of stuff, relationships, how's your relationships. Rest, man, we could all use that. Right, Nelson? We could use rest. He gave me a book. We're going to be working on rest. Rest. And maybe about work and money and general hospitality. The idea is that you have one practice, which is downstream. So maybe you're a person who is naturally flowy, who just loves to be in the presence of God. That's a downstream. And maybe like intellectual deep reading or finances is something that's really hard for you. So you'd have one practice that's downstream and one practice which challenges you. Like a trout going upstream, you would practice this every single day and it would challenge you. And so in those areas, you would have that daily. You would then, after a month, assess, did I do it at all? <laughs> like, look back, well, I didn't do anything that wasn't good. Better restart this thing again. Or maybe, man, that really worked, but that was just terrible. That is not for me in this stage of life. And so you go back through again, and you work with another person. You just walk through with another person saying, hey, I'm going to commit to this and what are you going to commit to? And you just journey together every single month. And you just check to see how you're doing today. How you, this is really kind of like basic, kind of foundational stuff. But I so believe that God is creating some cultural shifts in our community about this. If we're going to be a church that wars against the culture of today, because we're all being discipled, you all have a rule of life. Can I just tell you, you all have a rule of life. Whether it's when you get home or you're about to go to your favorite restaurant or you're going to go home and watch this Netflix show or whether you've got this thing, this hobby you love to do, you have a rule of life. I'm just saying, would you bring God into it? Don't add. This is not like, Johnny, I've already got so much stuff in my life. No, no. I want you to take away the things in your life. I want to say, what can die in your life that God could bring into your life? This is not addition, this is subtraction from your life. And for many of you, you come, you're like, where is God? The storm's raging, you know, what's happening? And you're constantly in this cycle over and over again. 
because you're building your house on sand. Let's be honest. We're individuals. I like feeling comfortable. Like, I want the best for me. That's my natural fleshly desire. My ideas are better than your ideas. I'm sorry. It's the way it is. I see the world perfectly. You don't. How many resonate with that? Right? All of us in this room. And so you can't think that you're not building your house on sand right now. You're exhausted. You're distracted. All of these things are happening to us. And God is saying, like Matthew 11, those who are weary, those who need rest, come, I'll give you rest. But you've got to take on my yoke. You've got to take on my practices. You can't just pray peace into your life and expect it just suddenly to happen. I think about Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, if I can find it real quickly. One of those embarrassing moments where you're like the smallest book in the world. There we go, four. It says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, put it into practice. And what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. If you want peace. And so today, for you, maybe all of this is just a bit overwhelming. And you're kind of like, can you go to the next slide for me there, Tyler? I don't know, my clicker's not working now. There we go. Maybe for you today, this is like, well, this is a bit overwhelming. Like, I, I struggle to read my Bible every day. Cool. I want to invite you into a space that says, God, will I surrender my life today? For many of you, you have made a salvation call that said, I'm going to follow Jesus because he forgives my sins. And that is so true. Thank God. But that's only half the gospel. The other half of the gospel is that he is calling you into a family, into a relationship, to be refined, to become a kingdom vessel here on this earth. So I want to give an invitation today of uh, almost like a new salvation, as it were. I want to say, will you surrender your life today to Jesus to actually pick up your cross and follow him and say, you know what, I'm going to deny the things in my life and I want to be a cultural change for my family, for my workplace, for my friends, that I'm going to choose to live differently. Maybe today that's just your starting place today. Maybe you just need to make a decision today that I want to live full on for God. We think about Peter's life. Peter was invited into following Jesus, but then as Libby said, he was on the boat, the net broke, and he was like, I'm a sinful man. You can't be around me. That was the second moment. And then we think about when he denied Jesus three times. And then he said, Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? At what point did Peter really convert fully to Jesus? When did he give everything to him? We don't know. But as I say, this is a journey. This is a journey of saying, you know what, today, God, I want to make that decision today, and I'm going to say, I'm going to give everything to him. I'm going to make that decision today, and I'm going to pick up a practice today. And maybe for you who have been walking with Jesus and you need something extra in your life, come speak to me. I would love to give you more information about a rule of life, about how we can implement it now. Maybe for you, that's something you're like, I'm hungering for something of structure in my life. I'm tired of having the waves batter against my house. I want to live differently. I'm there, Johnny. I've denied, I've surrendered, but I need something more in my life. My trellis needs to expand. I need to hold on to something more. 
And so just with every eye closed, every head bow here as we just wrap up here today.